0: When I woke up, something so radical shifted in me that it was like I started to really tune into what was real in this world and what was not. And for me, everything before seeing him was not real.
1: Okay, here we are. Another episode of Dead Talks. Um, I am here today with a new friend of mine. We just met about. How long have you been here? 35 minutes?
0: 21.
1: Fist. Shit. There we go. Uh, Well, she's been here for about 21 minutes and she's my new friend. And she has an amazing story that I'm really looking forward to you guys to hearing because she told me over the phone and my mouth just dropped. Um, So without further ado, we have Cassandra here. She is the founder of Now Level Up. And she just told me as we get closer to her story about her car accident um, as I put down my beer, which is a fat tire, that was the last drink that she had, specifically a fat tire, prior to her accident, and um, I, my hairs on my arm are actually standing up. So, from that point on, please, Cassandra, um, start wherever you want to start, and we'll just get going with your story.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, I'm, I, I am a bit taken back um, because the way that I, you know, that I see my life after everything that's gone on is that we are the creators of our story. And of our reality, and just the fact that that is the beer that you chose to take out of your fridge today and put in front of me, I just sat here and I and I literally said to myself, "I'm meant to be here, and I'm meant to be sharing the story." And you know, that's the sign.
1: Yeah, I mean, so. hopefully, Fat Tire hears this too because this would be a great product placement. Right? <laughs> is that the theme song for Fat Tire? I don't know. It uh, works. So at least let us know who we're remembering and start wherever you want to start. I know you've told this story, um, numerous amount of times. So you don't need my direction, but I'm very excited.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, if I'm going to start somewhere, I guess it, it would be from the beginning and, you know, I, I grew up in a very kind of toxic environment when I was a kid and I grew up and was brought into a really, um, intense divorce situation my parents were in the midst of about to get a divorce and I was three when they did get a divorce and you know I was I was always somebody who would create fairy tale lands in their mind you know and that's where I would keep myself safe you know when all the yelling would happen and all the fighting and you know what can I ask you
1: a question? Please. Yeah. No, I don't have any fairy tale stories. <laughs> First of all, that's bullshit. <laughs> okay, true. <yeah, sure, laughs> that's true. Sure, you true.
0: have a, you have a baby five feet away from you. you all
1: right. You for anyone do. that's not in the room with us, which is literally everyone, it's a baby photo that I took of a little baby from Cuba. So it's not a real little baby hanging out. But go on.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, in all honesty, I like when I'm thinking about this, I kind of want to bring you into a story before, like, and I think that'll kind of give you an understanding of what I grew up in. Sure. Um, when I was about, I'd say four years old, um, I was standing in my kitchen and I heard a bunch of banging on the front door. And I mean like intense banging. And my mom ran across us in the kitchen and she grabbed the phone off the wall and she fell to her knees and she started screaming and crying to a rabbi on the phone, uh, asking him to pray for us. And within seconds, our door was broken down and eight police officers ran in and started to beat the shit out of my mom in front of us. Yeah. Um, and you know, I can still remember that as a kid and I can still remember my brother Blake jumping on their back and he, he must've been six or seven at the time and, you know, biting them and punching them and trying to protect my mom and then throwing him off. And I can, you know, I can still remember them dragging her out and pulling her and taking her into the cop car and leaving us alone.
1: They just left you. Yeah. Three, three, three of you.
0: Yeah. No. Well, it was my brother Blake and I, and we have another brother, Jason, who's 10 years older, um, but he wasn't there at the right. time, but it was just us two. But so that was kind of what I was brought into like that kind of. Yeah.
1: What was it? Why did the cops come and break the door down?
0: Well, my mom and my dad were in a pretty bad custody battle and there was a lot going on behind the scenes Um, and it had a lot to do with money and, and that kind of a thing. But, you know, I say that and I mention that story because when we're kids, that's our biggest influence. We have no, we have no wiring, I like to say, or memories or, um, um,
1: from zero to seven, from age zero to seven, you're the most susceptible to all this. That, that so an experience like that, if, correct me if I'm wrong, is really going to get planted in your subconscious and going to kind of define you in a way.
0: Fully. And so think about that story, multiply by you know, two hundred more of those, three hundred more, a thousand more. And that's what I was brought into. So for me, the only place that I could create safety was in my mind and in my heart. So I would create these all these beautiful fairy tales and all this stuff. Fast forward a little bit, my mother got remarried, um, and she got remarried to a man that I love very much. So, and he is my father, um, and we. But we moved. We. So I was uprooted from the life that I had always known, and I was brought into a completely different life with different characters different storyline and I like to say you know it was my mom my brother and I living in a two-bedroom apartment almost on top of each other and we moved into a space where we could barely find each other so for me there was so much space emotionally mentally physically spiritually that I felt so alone and because I felt so alone the new school that I went to I would act out And I would, I was this funny clown, you know, I would stand up at the lunch table and I would have all these people around me. And the reason that I did it was because I wanted to love everybody and I wanted everyone to be seen. And I wanted to make everybody laugh because for me, I was suffering so deeply Mm. uh, and no one ever knew that. And when I was about 10 years old, um, I was taken to a doctor recommended by the school and they diagnosed me with ADD and ADHD. Uh, which is, you know, they put me on Adderall, which mm. I'm not sure if you know much about Adderall.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, not, yes, I know about Adderall. Yeah,
0: well, for me, it's it's basically the drug that stole my soul.
1: Wow, I haven't heard it like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a different description of it. How, go on. Why do you say it like that?
0: Uh, well, I mean, first of all, if you think about it right now, I was 10 years old when they put me on it. You have no idea who you are when you're 10 years old you, they literally were just suppressing everything that I was and everything that I could be at that age.
1: So just numbed you
0: completely. And you know, and the the thing that I think back on now all the time is, you know, the test that they actually gave me, I can still remember being in there and I can still remember asking the doctor when I'm that age, like, what is this for? Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you holding up pictures and asking me what I see? Or why are you, you know, making me write something so fast? Or like, what, what I remember feeling inside of myself, like, what is this proving to anybody? And why am I here? And it makes me so sad to think about, to go back there and to think about being in the actual room when they just were like, yeah, she's got ADD. She's got ADHD. Let's put her on a drug, you
1: know? And there are no other attempts to try to figure out another means. Is that just as prominent now? Because when I was growing up, you know, there was, I remember several kids getting diagnosed with AD, ADD, and ADD, ADHD. Is that what it is?
0: ADHD, yeah.
1: And you know, Adderall and Ritalin, I, I believe, were just or was it Ritalin that goes with that too? Yeah. They were just so prominent in diagnosis, and I, I always felt like, and it's kind of verification now that it was just, just dished out as opposed to attempting to find any other resource to help you.
0: Yeah, I mean, the older I got, and the more I was on Adderall throughout high school the more I realized that anyone who wanted it, needed it, could get it in a second. They just go to the doctor and they say, I can't concentrate. I can't do this. But for me, it wasn't a choice. And that's what kind of brings me to my next thing when I'm saying, you know, it really stole my soul. You know, I I say this story because it was the moment in my life where everything shifted. I was at school and I was in biology class and I really loved science. And I decided one day to not take my Adderall because I wanted to eat. And Adderall actually suppresses your appetite. Mm. And I didn't take it one day. I'm sitting in lab. I'm laughing with one of my guy friends. We're having such a great time. And my teacher comes up and she's like, Cass, you know, I need you in the hall. I'm like, all right. I'm so confused. I walk out in the hall and both of my deans, my counselor and my teacher are there. And I'm standing there and I'm like, what is going on? And she was like, you know you are acting so different today than, you know, the first couple weeks of school. And, you know, I have a feeling that you're on drugs. And I looked at her and I looked at the deans and I, at this moment in my life, I had never done pot. I had never done anything. And I was like such a straight edge kid that the only drug that I had actually done
1: was Adderall. Right. The one that was (laughs) actually given to you by a doctor. Exactly.
0: And I was sitting there and I was like, no, I... um, I am not on drugs and, you know, all of them kind of look at each other and, you know, I was really close with my deans. I was close with my counselors, close with my teachers. I was that outgoing human. And I was sitting there and my counselor turns and she goes, oh, Cass, did you take your Adderall today? And I look at her and I look at all of them and I'm like, no, I didn't because I wanted to eat lunch. And they all were like, they all literally went, oh. And I literally still remember looking at them being like, are you fucking kidding? Yeah. Like, excuse my language, but the, that's the truth. I was sitting there like, what is this leading to? And my teacher ended up saying, you know, you actually can't come back into the classroom unless you go to the nurse and take your Adderall right now. What? Yeah.
1: What bullshit.
0: I know. I literally remember the walk down the hallways to the nurse's office, feeling this sickness in my stomach, like almost like you're in jail. Like, I can't just be myself. I can't just be an expansive expression of love, who I am and myself and have fun. Because, you know, when you take Adderall, when I took it, it was like, you know, yeah. like it made me feel like I was in a box all the time. And I think from meeting me, you can tell that I, there you know, is no box. there is a
1: box, it's a very big box. It's a big, <laughs> um,
0: yeah. And so I get to the nurse's office. The nurse ends up telling me that I have to take it. We end up calling my mom my mom is sitting on the phone and she's like, this is ridiculous. I'm coming to pick you up from school. You know, she was not into me taking it. And, you know, and she knew that it was really horrible for me at the same time. And, um, but there wasn't much you could do when, when the school said it at this point. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I bring up this story is because that day my mom picked me up and I went home and I can still remember getting in my bed and crying And saying to myself, no one wants me to be me. Not my teachers, not my parents. Like they didn't care that much, you know? Like it wasn't, they didn't know how much it affected me. They were just like, oh, you know, we're going to pull her out of school and take her home for the day. Yeah. You know? But to a kid, you know, we're all in our own experience. And that was a really rough thing for me to digest that day. And so when I went home, I sat there and I said to myself, you know, no one wants me to be me. So, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna choose to take it every day, and I'm gonna choose to go into the worlds that I created as a little girl, into these fairy tales where I enjoy myself and I love myself, and I have a very expansive imagination, and I'm not gonna come out. So this is at ten. This was this was my freshman year of high school.
1: Oh, with the experience with the doctor, how old are you? You're ten. Ten. Okay. Yeah. So fast forward. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, but that was the first experience because before that I was way too young. Right. I was just taking it every day on call like a robot.
1: Yeah. But at the same time, the way you just explained it to me, it seemed like you were still had like a hunch or some cognitive yeah. r- reasoning of what was going on. I thought that was kind of surprising. I, Me at 10, I don't even know if I would have questioned it as much yeah. as you did at least.
0: Yeah. Well, in all honesty, I think, you know, something I've been reflecting on a lot lately, uh, especially lately <clears throat> Is just how fast I've had to grow up in my life Mm -hmm. and how many experiences I've had, like very serious and very deep experiences I've had since I came out of the womb. And I've worked through a lot of, you know, a lot of pain and a lot of resentment in those ways um, and healed a lot of that trauma, which has built me and I love who I am today. But at the same time, I mean, yeah, I mean, I got things and I've been very street smart since I was a baby. Mm -hmm. So. That for me was like, yeah. Right. I was pretty conscious and aware of what was happening.
1: Yeah, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty tremendous at that age. Yeah. Uh, so what happens next from that point?
0: Well, okay. So <sighs> after that day, that was basically when I said, you know, I'm not going to come out again. And I went down a really unhealthy path for the, pa- the next 15 years of my life. Um, so I started to take... A shit ton of Adderall. I was started to go to two different doctors to get two different prescriptions without anyone knowing. So I was on about 180 milligrams of Adderall a day. Holy shit. When I was in college. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, even I know that's a lot.
0: Yeah. And I was coming down from it by taking, by smoking pot. Um, it was the only thing that would kind of help me. And then, you know, um, when I was in college, Um, I actually had a lot of very traumatic experiences happen with a lot of close friends of mine passing away. And it was something that really pushed me deeper and deeper into my addiction because I was just like, oh my God, like everybody around me is dying, you know, and I didn't really know how to cope. I didn't have any tools on my tool belt. And, you know, I went down this very unconscious road and I was working at a job that I really hated. And I was in a really toxic relationship, and I was uh, working at a party one night, and my middle brother, Blake, called me um, and asked me to step into the bathroom. And when I did, uh, he said, um, you know, Cass, have you talked to mom? And I said, no, why? And he said, you know, I don't know how to tell you this, but Jason, which is my eldest brother, um, he overdosed. And so in that moment, I describe it in a way of, I fell to my knees in that moment and right when I hit the floor, it was like I woke up for the first time in 15 years. Wow. And I woke up to my heartbreaking. Um, so it was, you know, a really interesting time for me. My brother, you know, Jason was just the most amazing human in the entire world. And he struggled with addiction since he was a kid. And But he was my biggest influence. I mean, you know, he taught me how to tag when I was, you know, eight. <laughs> he taught me how to be the artist that I am today. <clears throat> um, you know, he taught me honestly how to live in this world. You know, he was that guy that, you know, would get in trouble doing anything. But it was yeah. because he gave himself permission to do it. And I'm such a believer in that.
1: Was that almost the opposite of you at that point? Because it seemed like was he? Because you said you struggled with early on thinking, even though it wasn't real. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can't be yourself, and people were kind of suppressing you. So when your brother kind of doing things like that, was he was he being himself, or was he kind of just um, going against the grain? What was like? Was there was there an opposition between you two in that aspect of the way you lived?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, you know, as I've gotten older and as I reflect on him and as I've read his journals and and. The truth is, which we'll get to, is he is my biggest angel on the other side, Mm. um, which I feel grateful for. And the more I learn about him now, I realize that, you know, we were exactly the same, Mm. that we were both just so full of love and we just wanted to be seen because I was exactly like him. You know, I, even though I couldn't act like myself, I was still, you know, outgoing and I, I don't, I don't know if I told you this, that I worked at Second City for a long time and I was a writer there. So, you know, I love comedy and I love, you know, enjoying my life, but the aspect of myself that really felt, that really gave myself to another human or gave myself to an experience just wasn't accessible because I was numbing that aspect of myself. And I believe he was as well. You know, I, since he passed, I always say, you know, he, he was almost too much love to be here. You know, this world can get hard at times. And he was just love.
1: It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so you fell to your knees and that's what really made you, what, you just gave up the Adderall?
0: I wish that that was the moment that I gave up my Adderall. Okay. And that's my honesty. Um, after Jason passed, I it was almost like I got addicted to feeling now mm-hmm. and feeling anything. So my imagination took me into a different place. I started to drive to school to school I started to drive to work
1: right? <laughs> back in school again so
0: back in school <laughs> I just started to drive to work every day and every time that I was behind the wheel I would play music and I would picture myself in a hospital bed
1: go why
0: because now that I was like hooked on feeling I was hooked on this this idea that the only way that anyone would love me or be there for me, or see me, is if I was hurt, or if I was in pain. Well,
1: How would you create that? What made you create it that? It was
0: just my subconscious, because ever since I was growing up, the only time I ever saw someone loving someone was when they were hurt. Oh, wow. You know, like, the the pain was what brought someone to love them. It wasn't just love. It wasn't, I'm just going to love you because you deserve love. It was, oh, I fell and hit my knee on a bike. Now my mom loves me. Now my dad's there for me. It wasn't like an organic thing in our family. So for me, that was the only thing that I could relate and connect to how to get love right was right. to be suffering.
1: And at the time, you didn't know this, right? This is something you reflected on.
0: Years later. Isn't
1: that, that's so wild to me how, you know, all these things that we're just doing, unco- we're essentially doing it unconscious. We don't even realize that we're doing it. And it's amazing that you were able to figure this out. At the time, you didn't know, but you figured yeah. it out.
0: Well, I mean, I feel like a a lot of us, if not most of us in this life are on autopilot for a very long time. And I'll get to it later about Now Level Up, but that's how Now Level Up actually got started um, was to realize, you know, what the moment is that actually wakes us up. Hmm. Um, But going on, um, I actually forgot where we were.
1: Uh, at this point, you're talking about the hospital and pitching yourself the only time you can get attention? Yeah. So I was. Or I think you could get attention.
0: So I would drive to, to work every day and I would picture myself in this hospital bed. And as I was doing it, I ended up having a conversation with my mother and I decided to get sober. And I ended up locking myself in my apartment and telling everybody that I was going to go MIA for three weeks. And it was probably the stupidest thing I could have ever done because I've never experienced such darkness that I did in that moment, but I got sober. Um,
1: so it's not that stupid.
0: No, no. But I mean, b- for anybody else, I just say it because there is a smarter way to go about it, right. you know, and the intrusive thoughts that happen in the amounts of times I wanted to kill myself or the ways that they wean you off of drugs, um, is a smarter
1: way to go. Just went cold turkey. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and that's a whole nother space to talk about. But at, so anyways, I got sober. So I basically came out of my own little quarantine. and
1: You're <laughs> we ahead of the game. Yeah, right? Yeah.
0: 15 years ago. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: um, and I stepped right back into the same atmosphere that I was suffering in, in, you know, in being a waitress and working at a job that I didn't like within a toxic relationship. And I went right back into my old patterns, and I wasn't strong enough in myself or loved myself enough to choose a higher path.
1: What was the timeline of when you came out of those three weeks to when you kind of got back behind the back behind the wheel, back on the wagon? What's the time? Was it on the wagon or off the wagon? Off the wagon. Yeah. So okay. yeah, <laughs> off the wagon. So what was the timeline between those three weeks when you got sobered up and to getting? So 30. I was
0: sober for a month. So the three weeks that I was in my apartment month, said, and then a week after, okay. and, and then I went back to work. Okay. And so I stepped back into work and I'm probably at work for another week. Mm-hmm. And I was going to a party. It wasn't even a party. It was like a get together. And it was, you know, my addictive mind went to, oh, I've never been ad- addicted to alcohol. I don't even like alcohol. Mm. So, if I have a drink, that's fine. That's right. not, that's being sober still. I'm not having a pill. I'm not popping pills. I'm not, you know, smoking pot. So, I ended up having a couple shots and a fat tire. And go. I chose the fat tire because it was a stronger beer. And that was my mentality. It's like, oh, I don't have to have a couple. I'll just have this and I'll have some shots. And I ended up getting in my car and getting on the highway. And as I was driving on the highway, I was actually passing this one exit when my subconscious literally said, you should not be behind the wheel right now. And I remember that moment. And I turned on Eminem, uh, I'm Not Afraid. Oh, okay. And I'm blasting. And I'm, so I'm singing, You Are Not Alone. I'm Not Afraid to Take a Stand. And a car that was in the right lane got in front of me and I didn't want to hit them. So I turned the wheel to the right and instead of slowing down, I accelerated. And I went about 110 miles per hour into a ditch and I flipped seven times, hit a tree and flipped over a five foot fence.
1: (sighs) Yeah. And at this point, where are you, where are you?
0: Well, so for me, the only thing that I actually remembered from the accident was seeing Jason on the other side. And, you know, you can call whatever you want. You can call it heaven. You can call it the other side. You can call it whatever. But for me, it was the only thing that was real.
1: How, I mean, saying you saw your, your brother, how, how real are we talking? Like, was it, did it literally feel as if you were in this room with him?
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, like, when I close my eyes and I say that he was there, he was literally in the same white hospital gown that I said goodbye to him at, at the funeral home before, you know, like you go into the main room and he was standing there and everything was white and it was like a dream. It was the most beautiful feeling I've ever felt in my entire life. It was light. It was, it was, you know, for me, it's like, I say it was heaven then, but that's how I live now. So it's, you know, like how it, so it's what I feel in most of my days now. But, you know, he looked at me and it was just, he was right here. And he said, you know, Cass, you are not alone, but you are to go back and to create a channel to allow everyone to know that they are not alone. But please remember to remember, that was the key, remember to remember, you are not alone. And when I woke up, I was in a hospital bed, the same hospital bed I was picturing for six months before that. Because Jason and I died six months apart only. And I died on 11, 2013, at one eleven a.m. So I don't know if you know anything about angel numbers, but eleven eleven or one eleven is, you know, spirit getting in contact with you. That something needs to change, that something needs to shift, that you have to look at something. So when I woke up in the hospital bed, it was so eerie to me because In all of the moments in the car that I had pictured this happening, my mom was there. My dad was there. My brother was there. My friends were there. My past lovers were there. My partners were there. And this time, what I really created was just me. My mom couldn't come into the hospital because she had just lost a kid. She was just about to lose another one. And there was a lot of, you know, like manic Emotions going on, and I needed to stay safe, stable. My stepfather wasn't in the room. My other brother Blake was in Australia, so for me, I woke up a with the only understanding that I just saw Jason. Like that was the realest thing to me. For me, like fuck the car accident. That wasn't what actually happened. What happened was I went and traveled somewhere, talked to him, had all this stuff download inside of me, and now I'm in this manifestation of the hospital. And so I sat there and I said to myself, you know, I had a very long time to sit and many moments to sit there and ask myself what happened. And I said to myself, and I know that this might be hard to digest, but the truth is, is that we come in this world alone and we go out of it alone. But who am I going to become while I'm here And how can I take steps towards finding me? So when I do leave, I leave with me. So I sat there and I said to myself, like, something is shifting. Something is changing. And, you know, the truth is is that took a lot out of me. I mean, I, you know, I really, it took a toll on my body. It wrecked my entire left side of my body. Um, You know, I, I remember this one moment when one of the nurses came in and it was the first shower I could take. And, you know, she wheel helps me wheel in there. And she was the most amazing angel I've ever met. And she goes, do you want me to come in with you? And I looked at her. And I'm like, no, I'm okay. I can do it. She goes, I'm going to be right outside the curtain. And I said, okay. And I get in the shower and I could barely pick my hands up and I put them in my head and I could feel all the glass in my head. And My head was literally the size of a watermelon, and I'm just sitting there, and I had this moment of, I'm never going to be the same. I'm so disfigured. I'm so different, and I backed up to the wall, and I slowly slid down, just crying, and she opened it, and she sat in the shower with me, and her words to me is, honey, you're not alone.
1: No shit. Okay, so this (laughs) is all connected to dots, out of control right now. I, uh, so when you said when you broke down at that moment, when you're not going to be the same, was it more of just um, a a physical a physical thing, or is it you felt yourself shifting internally? Based all on of it. All of it.
0: All of it. I yeah. mean, I literally it was it was never. It's a very big shift when we feel a we can't do something physically anymore. You know that's why I have so much compassion for anybody, anybody because we're all shifting. We're all getting older. Yeah you know, and to put yourself in a heart space of somebody who can't pick something up or can't bend down, you know, those moments really sit with me because it instilled compassion at the deepest level. Um, but it was everything. It was emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically. I was just in that moment saying to myself, a simple shower I can't even do. And then the moment I felt that I was alone in that, Another angel showed up to say, oh, honey, you're not alone. And sit with me in the shower. She sat with me. She's a nurse. She just sat in the shower with me, holding me like a little baby. And I sat there and I just kept saying, okay, I'm not alone. Even though things may look like I'm alone, Mm -hmm. I'm never really alone because there's always something showing up to me or back to me that I'm taking care of.
1: Oh, my God. That's mind-blowing. Yeah. And this is only the beginning of the story. That's the I crazy <laughs> part. So for anyone listening right now, we're just, like, we're just, we're not even at the cusp of the iceberg right now. Yeah, no, it's not the climax. So let me yeah. ask you, how, how at that point, how long were you in the hospital, like, from the accident to that shower scene?
0: That was, like, two or three days in.
1: Two to three days in. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll, real quickly, from those two, first two days, were you conscious to contemplate what the hell was happening, or were you kind of just out of it?
0: I mean, I was out of it, but I was in, this, in the mind state that I said a couple minutes ago of being, like, I really went into instant processing, and There's
1: immediate change and shifting essentially.
0: Instant, like when I opened my eyes, it was it was like I saw through a completely new pair of eyes.
1: Were you still, of course, that shifted? Were you so, in, like, you know, enthralled in that shift, or did you contemplate the fact that you saw J? Like, because hearing the story now from an outsider who has never experienced anything remotely close to that, just the fact that you spoke to your brother like that. And you know, felt so real as it was real. Yeah. Were you kind of like blown away at that, or were you so kind of transfixed in the fact that you're just changing? Like, what are you thinking?
0: I mean, in all honesty, like the truth of the truth, that was the only thing that was real to me anymore.
1: If that makes sense,
0: was seeing him. It was almost like when I woke up, something so radical shifted in me. That it was like I started to really tune into what was real in this world and what was not. And for me, everything before seeing him was not real.
1: All the. Yeah. I mean, you were suppressing so much that, like, what was, how would you even tell the difference?
0: Exactly. So for me, I mean, my truth, like, my radical truth for you is not once, even to this day, not once did I doubt it. Not once did I, like, think that it was, like, weird or out there. Because, you know, as we move further into the story, I'll tell you, you know, like how the the keys kind of came up.
1: Yeah. I can't yeah. wait you to tell these keys because I know I'm, I asked you before recording, I was like, has anyone doubted you? Because, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of – there are people out there that, you know, would be like, oh, it was just like a dream or what the hell was it? But it had, that's, it's tough to argue. It doesn't have a lot of meaning regardless of what the hell it was. Was – did you technically – from a technical standpoint, did you technically flatline or anything like that or was it like – from, a, from the hospital? Like, did they say you, what did, the, what did the hospital say in that moment that you, sh- you should have gone or you did go? Like, what did they say? What did they tell you?
0: So, in in like full disclosure, details of that moment were a bit all over the place and... Don't blame you. Well, well, <laughs> yes. And my mom was having a really rough time with my brother passing and me almost passing and there was a lot of other things involved in the moment but when everything happened The proper tests, even on my body, weren't done. You know, the things that I needed, like scans that I needed, weren't done. And when we get into like the next kind of keys part, I'll tell you about the paramedic. But basically, what they had said was that when the paramedic had me in the um, The ambulance, in the ambulance, thank you for that. One of those, one of those things, whatever the hell they are. (laughs) Um, That I was holding onto the paramedic and I fell backwards and I was gone. That's what they had told me. That, that I had just gone and that when I came back, I was in the hospital. So, you know, for me, wherever I went, whatever happened in that moment, the only thing that I know is that I was in the realest place and in the most beautiful place and in the truest place that this existence has to offer.
1: That's unreal. I Which I also track.
0: believe is accessible. Yeah. Being here now, yeah,
1: I, I believe that too. I mean, I'm still trying to figure it out a little bit, but um, you mentioned the keys. Yeah, you might want to allude to, for those listening exactly what you mean on the keys, but yeah. go on as you please.
0: Okay, so this is this is where for me things get exciting because
1: shit starts getting weird here. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like really weird, yeah, it's but amazing. in such a beautiful way. Okay, so when my mom came. To the hospital, I had told her obviously that the only thing that I had remembered was seeing Jason, and you know, and she, her, being a mom and just losing a son and almost losing a daughter. She's like, oh, "Okay, like you know, what do what do you believe as a mom? You know, yeah. my okay. let's talk about the car that you damaged. Let's talk about you almost dying. You know, like let's talk about all these other things, right. and you know, and also not wanting to open that wound, you know, of losing your firstborn.
1: It's been what six to seven months at this point, or what so is what six, six months? Six months.
0: Yeah, and. Um, you know, and he was 10 years older. So they had a very big past, you know, before us. Right. So that was like her number one. Yeah. Um. So here are the keys. So when I got out of the hospital, the first place that we went was the police station because we had to go fill out paperwork and we had to go talk to them. And when we walked into the police station... About eight officers walked up to the desk, and I'm like standing there and I'm looking around, and my mom's next to me, and they go, "Oh, you're the girl from the accident." And I looked at them and I was like, "Yep, that's me." And they were like, one of the guy goes, "Oh yeah, you definitely should have died." And I go,
1: "Just said it bluntly like that."
0: Yep, just like that. It
1: wasn't like, "Oh, you should have just you should have died."
0: Yeah, well, I mean, also, I think he said it unconsciously because I had been drinking right. and just trying to not got it,
1: yeah, point a little bit almost. yeah. yeah
0: and I looked at him and I said yeah you know what I probably should have and one of the other officers goes, you know we have got a question though for you um, that we've been wondering since it all happened and I was like okay and they go who's Jason And right when they said that I turned to my mom and I looked at her and she went like this and looked at them and she goes why are you asking her that and they go well you know when when she crashed that car, a truck driver pulled up behind her, and that's actually who pulled me out of the the uh, the mirror. The what's it called the
1: the front windshield. The
0: front. There we go. The front so windshield. I'm here for
1: the fill in the blanks. Yeah. There we go. So Language. I don't, I don't Language. I just need to see the Just fill in the words. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So they so they said that he pulled me out, and right when he pulled me out of the car, uh, that I was in a full blown conversation with someone named Jason, and that when the cops came. They thought that Jason flew out of the car. So they were searching the surrounding area looking for him.
1: Oh, man.
0: Yeah. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking at my mom and she's looking at me and she, you know, starts having tears come down her eyes. And in that moment, I just said to myself, okay, so that's like, it's real. You know, it's realer than I even thought it was real. And they said, they went on to say, um... Because the story that I had told my mom is that when I had seen him, that I was begging him not to leave me, that I was holding on to him for dear life, and that I remembered opening my arms and falling back through the clouds. And then when I woke up, I was in the hospital bed. So they had told me that I was actually holding on to a paramedic, screaming, Jason, don't leave me, and that I opened my arms and fell back into the gurney.
1: Oh, my God.
0: So the same story happened. Just with a paramedic and not Jason, but what I was seeing and what I was experiencing was
1: him. So that just kind of verifies it.
0: Exactly. So that's key number one.
1: How many many keys we got?
0: Four. Three more. Buckle up, people. All right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's only one key. (laughs) Holy Mary of God.
0: So the second key was going to see the actual car, which was a G550, like a Mercedes truck. Mm -hmm. So it's like a tank. Yeah. And we went to the impound and it was smashed to a complete pancake. I mean, like to the point of where when they lifted up the tarp, I couldn't believe that I was in the car.
1: You're going 110 miles an hour.
0: Yeah. And the only thing that was actually still standing was a point above my head. Okay. Like the tiniest point, Um, which I, you know, I look at pictures now and I just have no understanding of how I survived and not just survived, but didn't you know, break my neck, do whatever. The third place that we went was to where I actually hit the tree, you know, off the side of the road. And I went there because all my belongings had fallen out of the car. And we pulled over to the side of the road and my mom and I are walking and I start to look at the tree and I see a piece of paper lodged into the middle of the tree, like right where I hit the tree. There was like a very noticeable chunk missing. And I'm walking up, and my mom's screaming behind me, like, "Cass, what is that?" And I'm like, "I don't know. Give me a second, you know." <laughs> and I walk up, and I pull it out, and it's my brother's death certificate.
1: Get out of here! <laughs> I'm drinking this fat tire, by the way.
0: <laughs> and the the oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm and trying not to curse, guys. I'm trying to get better with the whole cursing thing, but she's making it very hard on me right now. <laughs> so this death certificate was lodged into the tree that you hit with your car. Your brother's burst uh, burst of it. Same yeah. thing. Yeah.
0: Right? It's a certificate. Okay. It's a certificate. Um, the yeah. So not not only was it in – it was lodged in in the part that I actually hit. Not like somebody put it, but it was stuck in the tree. So when I turned around and I asked my mom about it, this was the kicker. That night, being the unconscious human that I was and numbing out of my life, I ended up taking her car instead of my car – And they said that if I wasn't in her car, I would have instantly died, that my neck would have snapped instantly because there wouldn't have been enough room. But because I took her car, she had the certificate in her glove compartment. So when I flipped the car, it got stuck in the middle of the tree. So when I pulled it out, I just, I literally fell to my knees and I'm just crying and I'm just like, you know, could it be more clear? I'm supposed to be here, there's a reason. He's guiding me, he's with me, he's showing me something. And it was like clues for me. Literally, I was just following one clue after the other. Yeah. And so at this point, though, you know, I still had bandages on my head. I was wearing a winter cap, you know, covering the, the cuts that I had. And my mom and I went into the first public place that I had really been, like big place with a lot of energy. And I say that for a reason. So we went into Whole Foods and we went shopping for food. And, you know, I was Still getting my bearings, and there was a lot going on that I wasn't speaking about that I had kind of told you in our interview or pre interview. Was that while I went home, I started to see figures in my room. You know, I had seen this figure of a cowboy in my room in the mirror, I was seeing little girls in my house, and you know, in my head, I was just processing it. I wasn't really thinking too deeply into it. It was to a degree scaring me, but at the same time, I wasn't like,
1: what is that? I wasn't, like, really going into it. Just going through your normal routine, like, just in yeah. your head or literally feeling like you've seen it?
0: No, literally, like, seeing them.
1: A cowboy and a girl? Ooh. Yeah.
0: And I, I even had said to my mom, you know, like, I keep seeing this cowboy in my room in the mirror. And, and I was like, ah, oh, it's odd. You know, like, this <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> is weird. You want to
1: eat, yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and it, it, was, it wasn't, like, a thing for me, though. Like, nothing was clicking at that moment. But when we went into the grocery store, this woman starts coming up to us and she starts talking to my mom. And somehow they got into a conversation and the woman tells us that she's a neurologist at the hospital that I just died at. And she starts speaking about this near-death experience seminar that goes on and, and I'm standing there and I'm kind of like looking at her and I start to see these figures forming above her head and I started to panic. And while she's talking, I just felt sick. Like there was something that just came over me that was, you know, off and... My mom and her are in this conversation and my mom goes, oh my God, you know, she just died at that hospital a week ago. And the woman turns and looks at me. And I looked at her and I said, you know, I'm sorry, I have to excuse myself. And I turned around and I walked into the vitamin aisle. And I literally will never forget this because I was thinking in my head, like, what the fuck is happening? You know, like, what's going on? What am I seeing? What is, like, something's not right. Are you still
1: seeing this or is it just over the woman?
0: It was just over the woman. And so... I knew something was different, and as I was thinking that, all of a sudden something grabbed me, and I turned around, and it was her, and she looked at me, and she said, "She said, my father died a couple weeks ago. I know that you saw him. I know you just saw him. I work with patients like you all the time, and I know that you tipped over to the other side, and I looked at her, and it was like the same knowing I had when I saw Jason was the same knowing... When she said that, that I knew what she was saying to me was real. And basically, she's saying that I tipped over to the other side, that I'm teetering a line of the spirit world and the physical reality world. And when she said that, I fell to my knees. I started crying. And I went home that night, and I called my brother, Blake. And my brother, Blake, at this point, had lived in Australia. And he's you know an, a beautiful writer, and he wrote a self-help book called You Were Not Born to Suffer. And so he's very much in that realm, you know? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of his friends were mediums and clairvoyants. And I said, you know, Blake, something's wrong with me. He hadn't seen me since my accident. You know, he hadn't come back from Australia. And I said, something is wrong with me. I don't know what it is. I'm seeing things everywhere. I'm starting to see spirit everywhere. And this woman came up and she said that, you know, like, um, that I, I I fell onto the other side, you know, like I, and, and he goes, okay. And I said, please reach out to your friends. So about a week later, he calls me and he says, I reached out to some people and Cass, you have to make a choice. And I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, you have to choose to keep living your life unconsciously like you have been for the past 15 years and numbing and running from your story and checking out of your moments or you have to decide to show up for this new life, for this gift. Or whatever's unfolding in front of you you have to be the one to say yes and they will listen and that moment changed the rest of my life
1: what, what does that mean are you, are you talking to these people all the time or like you just just you're just not being so restricted like what is it what is that what do you mean by that
0: so after well after that realization came um, I Really connected deeply with Jason. I started to really connect with him on the other side. I started to see him in physical form. I started to hear him. He started to guide me with little things. But one of the things that came through before I want to say we became best friends on the other side was that he had told me that I needed to move. And I didn't really tell anyone this at the time. I just said, you know, I have this inkling. I really want to move. I'd wanted to move for a while, but I really drove that story like right after the accident. I'm like, I got to get out of here. So I ended up moving to California, and what I realized later looking back was that for 25 years of my life, I was living so many other stories. I was living my parents' story. I was living the divorce story. I was living my partner's stories. I was always giving to my partners. Fairy tales. All of it. And I wasn't creating my own story. I wasn't asking myself, what do I want? What do I want to create? I wasn't allowing myself to dive into my intuition or my story. So once I got out here, I started to, I like to say, re-meet myself Mm. and really befriend myself and really fall in love with myself. And that was new, literally new from 25 years of life. And it was a very big moment for me. So when you say like, you know, what does that mean? What's switched? The first thing that I did when I moved out here was I put a seance on by myself, and I – this is like full disclosure – and I got naked, Mm -hmm. laid in the middle of my apartment floor, put all the pictures of everyone in my life who had passed away around me, and I started crying, and I said, I give myself to God. I give myself to spirit. I want to be guided. I, like you and I were talking about before we got on today about surrendering. I said, I'm surrendering into my story for the first time in my life. And this is what I want. This is what I want to do. And after that moment, spirits started to show up everywhere for me. Right after that. Yeah.
1: How did you – like you never put on a seance before that, right? No. How do you no. – How do you orchestrate – you have to Google how to put on a seance? Like how do you orchestrate Could I, I just... say
0: seance now because that's kind of what it was. right. But right. for me, it was
1: – Just felt it?
0: it? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was like I want to surround myself – with the people that love me, that I know are still here, that are not gone. It was like, I always knew my grandma who raised me, who passed away, wasn't gone. I knew my, you know, my brother wasn't gone. I knew my uncle wasn't gone. I knew all these people, and even my dog, and my birds, and my rabbits, like, I knew they were never gone. It was like, I could always feel them, but it was like, when I, when I, you know, got pushed onto the other side, you know, shifted, made that shift, it was like... My fairy tale as a kid became my real life. That's how I say it now. It's like I had to make the choice, though, to not have to take a substance or have to check out or numb out or you know play in my imagination. I had to actually create the imagination to be real now, and I figured out how to do that. And that's—I
1: mean, how did you do it? Was it just just by saying was surrendering the answer?
0: surrendering was the answer but that's how now level up came to be
1: let me ask you so when when all these when people started the spirits started coming to you more how do they come how are you how do they come to you is like when you meditate is it just random and in what form how did you explain it to someone who doesn't have that same ability as you so
0: i i really offer this up to everybody is that say you and i are in a relationship right now okay we're what 7 feet apart mm-hmm. If you and I got in a fight or if you and I were thinking things about each other and we weren't communicating them, we were just in our both separate experience, you would never know how I was feeling about you. And I would never know how you were feeling about me. So in the moment of the seance, what I realized is I went into a space where I would communicate constantly with the other side whether it was real or not, didn't make sense. Didn't matter to me. It was what was coming through was like, communicate with them. Let them know what you want. Let them know what you need. Let them know what you're ashamed of. Let them know what you're guilty of. Let them know about what you're feeling in every moment. So when I say this, I say, you know, communicate to them, say what you want to say to them. Imagine they are right there, right next to you. Because for me, I always say they're just over there.
1: When you say them, is it whoever you want?
0: Yeah, I mean, but you know, when you start to do it more, when you start to tune in and when you start to quiet, you know, this world has so many distractions. It can distract you in a minute, you mm-hmm. know, in a second, in a millisecond, your phone, billboards, ads, and meditation, meditation actually means to become familiar with. Right. So when we go into meditation, when we go into silence, when we go into stillness, we start to become familiar, not just with ourselves but with the world around us. So if you can bring yourself to a place of stillness, to a place of quiet and communicate, you don't know what's going to show up, but you have to be open. It's the same thing. If we are in a relationship, if you want to feel safe with me and tell me everything that you feel about me, I have got to create a safe space for you to really do that and same vice versa. So For me, when I communicate to them, I say, listen, you know, I'm just doing my best, you know, but I love you and I think about you all the time and you're still here. I talk to my dad all the time, which my dad passed away two years ago, you know, and I say to my brother, you know, all the time, you know, thank you for allowing yourself to leave the physical form to help me in the physical form now because he's my biggest guardian angel. I always tell people, we play together like none other. He's the best artist I know. If I'm driving and I see if I'm this is the truth. If I'm driving and I'm having anxiety and I'm like, I'll say out loud, I'll go, Jason, I need a sign. Like I need a sign because I'm like, you know, like life is just too much for me. And he'll paint a purple flower and I'll see a purple flower on the side of the road. What? 100%. And everyone knows this about me. If I'm out doing something and I get anxiety and I'm like, okay, Jason, I need a sign, a yellow balloon will show up. It's like you just know.
1: Yeah. So it's it's as if you're like you're manifesting. I don't know if you would define it as manifesting that, but do you have that? Do you do that with the rest of your life, as opposed to you know whatever your goals are with now level up and this and that? Do you have that same? Do you feel you have the same confidence in manifesting other material things in your life that aren't related to Jason or aren't related to the people you're connecting with?
0: Very much so. Yeah, that's actually, you know, the birth of Now Level Up was what kind of opened my eyes to that and what I opened my eyes to just following creation and following, you know, the um. manifesting, I say, with precision, mm. you know, just it's putting something out there that you want and then letting go.
1: See, that's, that's, okay, this is, I want to, I want to. Digress with your story. That yeah. just put a little ticker. Okay. That yeah. I to talk to you when we're not on record. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm yeah. interested in that. Um What key are we on, by the way?
0: What? Oh no, we're done with the keys. So what yeah. The, what was
1: the fourth key exactly? The that fourth
0: was? key was the um, was the neurologist. The neurologist. Yeah. Right.
1: And then what made you define the keys? Like there's, I've cl- clearly had a high, highly significance of your path right now.
0: Yeah. So that was for me. I mean, I say that because it literally happened within not even you know two days that the keys happened. And it was like, I say it because it like unlocked all these different aspects of self. Mm-hmm. And then once that key, once that door was unlocked with that fourth key, it opened me to a world of magic.
1: Right. It literally. Like
0: literally, yeah. <laughs> yeah if, if anyone
1: wants to really go to Webster Dictionary of Magic, go to your life in one sentence somehow. So how do you, I mean, how do you? How are you today? Clearly, because earlier in the episode, you said you're living in what you feel like heaven every day. And that's what I think everyone attains... To be at so my question is, how if you have more of the story? I don't mean to interrupt, no. but someone who doesn't have such an impactful experience as you had, like your story, is in the way you survived that car accident and all the you know the scenarios that happened afterwards. It took those things to really open your eyes, right? Yeah. And I've always said in like discussing death and you know losing my dad and whatever we all go through. More often than not, it takes an ex- maybe not always the level of you. You have a very intense experience in your life that I can't relate to, but it takes those moments to realize, make certain realizations, to make those shifts. And you've had a ready, ready, a really unique experience. But how do people make those realizations prior to an occurrence and a trauma happening? Does that make sense? Like, I feel like so often or not, it takes a trauma to make a realization and to really start changing. But I've always, I've wish and hope and find a way for people to not wait for that scary and terrifying and bad moment, a traumatic experience to lead you to change. So how do you, how would you offer up people to find their way and not have an experience like that?
0: Thank you for, for um, saying that, because I think this is really important for everybody in the process of developing now level up and thinking to myself about, you know, what, what can I give back to the world now that I'm back? I started to, to really think about, was the tree, you know, was the accident really what woke me up? And then I started to do the work and I started to backtrack. And I started to realize that there's something that I call and that I, I named the wall. We hit a wall and I probably hit a hundred walls before I actually hit that tree where spirit, where the world, where our higher self is telling us, stop, wait, shift, make a shift, make a change. And it's when we feel uncomfortable. Yeah. It's when we feel the most uncomfortable. But a lot of the times when we feel uncomfortable, instead of going forward, we turn around and we start to replay the same program over and over and over. So I, I offer up a, a tool called Slow Down. So it's slowing down, like really, really, really taking a stop in your life and writing out a routine. Write out what do you do? What do you do every day? What what does it make you feel? What are you feeling when you're doing those things? What is the next day? What are you doing? How does it make you feel every day? Start to witness what you're filling your moments with and what they're making you feel. Yeah. Moment to moment. so. I I say there's 86,400 moments in a day. And if we can slow them down, really slow them down, we can either really live into them or really, really, really rewrite them and create an entirely new book to live into. For me, there were so many moments. I mean, my truth is, is, you know, I am, and this is my experience, I am the biggest advocate that we are the creators of our own reality. And for me... Cassandra Mary Bauer, whose brother passed away six months before her, for me to sit here today and say, I created my brother to die, to wake me up. And it didn't even fucking wake me up.
1: Yeah. You mentioned That's so when I asked you, like that was the moment you changed and you said it wasn't. No. It, it took this.
0: Yeah. Because the sad, the saddest part that I've reflected on is I look back, it's almost like a timeline. I turn around and I'm looking back at it and I'm like. That didn't even wake me up because I was suffering so deeply. That's why I never judge anyone because some of us just suffer and suffer and we can't find the light. And we need and you know, and my truth is, and this is the truth, yeah, we don't need to hit a tree. We don't need to die and have a near-death experience. But the truth is is some people need to be shaken. Yeah. And really shaken. I know that – and and I only know from experience. Like if I didn't have that, I don't know what would have made me shift. I have no idea. See,
1: so that's the challenge. That's the challenge. But I, I think you you made a lot of sense what you said in uh, just kind of seeing how you feel. It's almost as simple as that is just paying attention to yourself and listening to yourself. I almost feel like – we don't trust ourselves enough and just pay attention to those little details. We have so much going on constantly that diverts our attention. And all we got to do is, like you said, just write out your day, write out what you're doing and just notice what feels good, what makes you feel good. And it's, like, it's like I remember my dad he used to always pick the weeds from the grass I and mean, it's making me think right now on the spot. You always pick the weeds in the grass. It's like you, you, the gra- the green grass is all the good things in your life and the good things to your day. But occasionally there's just some weeds you got to pick out. It's weeds that grow from the grass that, you know, it's not shedding the best light on you. you. Just pick those weeds out. So I feel like reflecting on what you're saying is every moment of your day, writing down what, how does it make you feel? And a couple of times, to- you know, throughout the day, you're going to notice some of these weeds that don't feel so good. Mm-hmm. So just notice that and, and tweak those. Right?
0: Yeah. I mean, what I've learned being back, you know, and, You know, the day-to-day life, and I'm sure that you can resonate with this, is the hardest thing that we as humans come across is change. (laughs) We don't want to change. People don't love change. It goes back to
1: feeling uncomfortable.
0: Exactly. Change is not easy. And something that is really necessary for change is discipline Mm. and tools. So when I'm saying like writing down what you do, we have to, the, the most important thing in our life is our mental health. And we have to implement tools throughout our day to keep our mental health strong. Because if if this is not here, we don't know what's happening yeah, out here. Literally. Literally. Yeah. So when you say, you know, trusting yourself, it is a moment to moment understanding and and learning how to listen to ourselves. Because the truth is, since we we're little kids, we're taught, we're taught how to live. And we're usually taught how to live by a lot of unconscious humans. And we're taught how to compromise our truest wants and our truest desires to make someone else happy. I like to say it's like being at a baseball game with your dad and you're enjoying yourself and you're, th- you know, you're running around and you're throwing nuts and you're throwing you know, nuts, you're throwing nuts right? <laughs> right? And your dad you know, hits you on the arm and goes, no. Yeah. From when you're that age, you're ingrained that being you is not okay. So it's a moment-to-moment reclaiming of yourself, and it's a decision. It's a decision in a moment saying, you know what? I want a different life. I don't want to keep living the same life, and that is really hard, Yeah. but it's a shift of perspective. It's an understanding that if you're the creator, you actually have the, the power to create the fairy tale that you've always desired rather than the hell that you've always been in.
1: Amen, sister, holy <laughs> Mother of God. Yeah, yeah. It's so true. And and I remember I was listening to uh, uh, a series from Joe Dispenza the other day. My mom's always been big on Joe Dispenza. I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with him. And he made he just made a point. It was like goes back to you saying about being uncomfortable. He's like, when you're making these shifts, like get ready, it's going to feel uncomfortable. So I feel like that's a very big precursor in anyone that's making a change. And I'm not speaking like I I'm like the holy grail of knowing. I'm just I just I'm aware of it get ready for the being uncomfortable and like understand, like you said, like, I think you mentioned it earlier, like being uncomfortable is almost like the first sign that you're going in the right direction. Yeah. And I, sometimes some differences, certain moments I feel uncomfortable. It's your intent is and get out of there. But at the same time, like when you're really trying to make a change for the positive, be aware that it's going to feel uncomfortable. So when you feel it, it's like, okay, this is a, look at it as a good thing. And it goes back to your perspective. It's like, if you perceive this being uncomfortable, as like going in the right direction then you can persevere through it because as soon as we start feeling uncomfortable innately I feel like that's when we just return back to our programming 100% And it's hard it takes discipline I'm trying to do it every single day Mhm on the littlest things but it takes discipline and work it's not just flick of the switch and you're just, it's not just a decision it's a decision is the first step I believe Yeah decide
0: mm-hmm.
1: but then you got to put in the work
0: Yeah 100% and you know something that I really resonated with when, you know, when you told me about this podcast was, you know, you had said that it's a shift, you know, it's a shift of perspective. It's it's looking at death in a different way. And that was very important for me because when we talk about shifts and when we talk about change and when we talk about being uncomfortable, you know, anytime I'm talking to a client or talking to somebody about now level up, I say, the thing i realized out of all of my experiences is that i came here to this world i decided i chose to come back down here for an experience i didn't come here for easy and neither did you neither did anyone watching this we came here for an experience yeah. we came here to experience you know every movie from a thriller to a comedy to a horror to all these things but those emotions. You know, I always say like, you know, don't fear the emotions. Don't fear those movies that are coming through you. Actually let it crush you. Mm. Let it become all of you. Let it be like water running through your your entire being. Let it and and allow yourself to be one with it because that's how you actually experience life. You experience all of life. Every emotion, but the truth is, is that you could do it. We can do it. It's not going to kill us. Yeah. It's just going to let us open more and more and more to what life has to offer.
1: That's just so exciting. Tell you, you got me excited when you said this because like everything we do, like what, what are we but feeling? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, everything we do is feeling. Everything that we do is I feel this way. I feel that way. Happy, sad, scared. And we could be scared of it and shun it. It's just, at the end of the day, this is how you look at it. Because like When you start like really embracing your feelings, it's kind of exciting. Yeah like, I'm not saying being sad's exciting cuz it's not mm. but at the same time like there's just so much ups and downs in this life that if you just perceive it as being exciting it's exciting this is what life is about yeah but yeah, as long i as you take it the right way i guess i have
0: to say this to you because i started like smiling when you said you know like not maybe not being sad and it's really <laughs> funny because i was actually in a, in a session one time and you know and this woman's crying she's like i don't want to be sad and i said okay what if you you don't okay you don't want to be sad but what if you just allowed yourself to be really fucking sad and, and she like looks at me and she just starts crying she goes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I was, and it just over, you could see it just overrush her whole yeah. body. And she looked at me and afterwards I said, How do you feel? And she goes, Safe. And I go, Exactly.
1: What's that? Is, is this, is this are, we, are we constantly fighting our emotions? Like, so like, we, even when we are sad, we're like trying to, like, we're trying, to, I think we're, I think it's almost, we're using our will almost too much. And then all of a sudden it's like conflicting when we should just let it out, we just let it go. Like, it's is resistance. That we, it's resistance.
0: It's resistance. And that goes
1: back to what surrendering.
0: Well, I think, I mean, I think the resistance comes back to all of the mirrors that we've seen along the way in our life. Like if you're thinking about, you know, for me, and I'm only speaking from my experience, I used to fear at times getting sad or getting angry because I would witness when my mom and my dad were fighting and my mom would get angry. I'm like, I'm never going to be like that. So I would never let my anger come up, but it's so healthy for you to allow yourself to get angry and allow that emotion to come out of your body so it's not stuck in your body. But because we have perceived... Uh, moments in our programming, we fear going to them because we feel like we may turn into those humans. We don't feel like they can come through us and pass through us. That's like a very big misconception of a lot of people. They're like, "Oh no!" But if I, if I, if you know, if I'm an angry, I'm gonna be this angry human, and everybody's gonna look at me as angry. You know, you're in a relationship and you're fighting with someone. And you're like, "I don't want to fucking get angry with them yeah. because then they're gonna." When you're in a new relationship, I don't want to get angry with them because they're gonna think I'm a fucking asshole. That's why it's like <laughs>
1: whenever I envision myself or I think about getting in fights, I'm, I feel like I'm the type of person that's like, whoever I'm, I might be arguing with. Like, listen, I'm angry right now, but like you're still, you can still be, con- you can still be. Ra- I don't want to say rational, but you can still be level-headed at the same time and still accept the anger it's like it's natural whatever we feel is natural i remember i was talking to someone about just i had to do more with death and grieving but the first thing i said to him and like for my opinion just an opinion i was like listen like don't feel like you have to feel a certain way whatever you feel feel it yeah and just release it like letting the air out of a balloon just let that shit out and then that's it. And then see how you feel and then really think about things. But I think it's just really important not just and you out of everyone. It seemed like you suppressed a lot of your a lot of your life. Most of it. And it's amazing that you feel like you do now. And I mean it's unfortunate but fortunate at the same time that you experience what you experience. But I, like I said like I asked you earlier, I would love for people to just not wait for that that Big traumatic experience to open your eyes. There's there are ways to open your eyes prior. That's why this podcast I was hoping to capture an audience that hasn't experienced death, and hopefully learns from someone like you to not wait. You can you can shift some things now. You just got to listen to yourself. You gotta you gotta listen to yourself. You gotta trust that, and then really di- and like dive into yourself. You gotta be like a scientist of your own mind and body. Yeah, and really dissect things and see how you feel because otherwise you're just like you said like, I think 95% of the way we 95, 95% of our day when we do things are just on autopilot like you said mm-hmm. just habitual and a lot of it is from 0 to 7 and there's like a, a, a famous saying of uh in the religious world you give me a child from until 7 years old I'll make him a child of god and there's mm-hmm. a reason for saying that is from 0 to 7 we're almost in hypnosis where things just stay with us for the rest of our lives yeah. so it's so interesting I want to ask you how did you at what point, for from meditating that you realize all these subconscious ties from you made a lot of um t- um, what's the word? You made a lot of uh, attachments to experiences when you were a kid to why you feel like this now, like your the right. anger and your family and this and that. So how did you how did you realize these things to change?
0: Well, when I moved to California, may I t- tell the story of now uh, level up?
1: Tell whatever, yeah. Tell yeah. Whatever
0: stories, and because okay, yeah. No, not going things. anywhere. Yeah. Well, okay. So when I moved to um, to California and after everything, and I started to connect to spirit, and I started to really listen to myself, I started to give myself space. So I was on a routine, and I was every morning waking up at four o'clock in the morning just because, God like, I wasn't on alarm, and I would just run for hours, and I would listen to all the thoughts that were going through my head. And it was almost like I became a witness and I was like, holy shit, like, who's that? Whose voice is that?
1: As if you're like stepping out and just viewing yourself?
0: Yeah, a little, I mean, we call that the neutral mind. You know, when you're able to just witness, you're just a bystander, you know, you're a witness of your thoughts. But I started running every day and then I would work out, you know, so I'd be, you know. Uh, filling myself with all of this adrenaline and like just allowing my emotions to just come to the surface. This is how I've digested it now. And then every night, I swear to God, I would sit in a bath and cry. I would just cry hysterically because I like needed to get the emotions out. And so one day I'm standing in my bedroom and I'm in front of my mirror and my mother called me and she was yelling at me and screaming. And my whole body started to go numb and I started to black out And I was like, okay, something's not right. Something's not right here. And I clicked off the phone and I threw the the phone on the bed. And I said to myself, okay, like I don't even feel like I'm in my body anymore. I need something to ground myself into this reality. So I opened my closet and I pull out an old shirt and I painted on it. The war is over. And I looked in the mirror and I took paint. And I love your mirror, by the way. And I painted on the mirror, Cass. I consciously commit to that to understanding that the war within me is over right now and I signed my name in huge letters on this mirror and I looked in the mirror and I said oh my god I'm seeing the difference now I'm seeing
1: Immediately from you doing that?
0: No I'm I said it I mean it in the way of like after I threw my phone on the bed like I witnessed that someone else's energy was influencing mine mm. So I started to kind of dive into my consciousness for the first time in my life like like awareness you know that i i was gaining an awareness that i was finally becoming in control of my own thoughts my own story the way that i was playing this game and so i realized in that moment that for so long my partners my parents all these people that any time that they would have an emotion that i would get sucked into it and carried away and it would paralyze me mm. And so I said to myself, I'm not going to allow that to happen today. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to go to Whole Foods and I'm going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to wear this shirt and I'm going to just enjoy my life. And so I consciously committed to changing that pattern. So I committed to the shift, okay? And so I go to Whole Foods and everyone, I swear to God, is like throwing peace signs and like, cool shirt. This is so great. And I start smiling and I was like, oh my God. Okay. Like I almost forgot about what just happened with my mother. And this is great, like I am I feel high vibration, whatever. So I'm walking out of the, the uh, grocery store and I pass this guy and this guy at the same time snarls at me and he goes, oh yeah, the war is over. And in that moment I grabbed his hand and I put his hand on my chest and I said, I promise brother it is. You just have to allow it. You just have to say yes. And he looked at me and instantly just starts crying. Oh man. Instantly, and we ended up sitting on the corner telling each other our life story for two hours. That oh, was just not a key. Right. <laughs> that's the 100th key. That's just key 4A. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. And so we're sitting literally on the curb, and so I started to realize that connection, that the key that my brother gave me, the you are not alone, was the biggest message of all. And so when I got in the car, I started to say to myself, okay, this shirt thing's kind of like a thing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, I'm on to something. The angels are coming through. They're like, okay, your intuition is coming in. And the next day I'm invited to go to a dream circle. I go to this dream circle. I'm holding a piece of paper. I'm shaking. And I go, you know, I've got this idea for a conscious clothing company where mantras help people remember who they are like a mirror cool. and the next day I was hooked up with a graphic designer we started talking and I started to design shirts with positive mantras and the next thing that I did was I went and I took Jason's journals and I actually had them turned into an alphabet because I wanted a part of him and spirit you know in a different kind of magic to be implanted into the shirts so I promise I'm getting somewhere So I'm getting to, I I go home for the first time in nine months, 10 months, and that was the longest time I'd been away from home, from like that story. And I got to the door of my house and I'm about to walk in and I'm thinking to myself, okay, what can I picture to make this experience better? What can I shift in my mind? And I thought about Bowser from Mario Brothers.
1: That's literally what I want to name my dog, Bowser. That's crazy. Go on. Sort of God. Not just because you said, like, I've, oh, go on, please. I'm going to go ahead. I and hope go. you
0: do. I hope you do. Yeah,
1: I've been saying literally Bowser is the name I want to name my dog if I ever get one.
0: Oh, well, he's, it's a good name because cool it'll name. make you shift every second now. <laughs> I look at my <laughs> damn dog I think of you
1: every time now, but go on.
0: Shift. <laughs> and I sat there and I thought to myself, okay, Jason and I used to play Mario Brothers all the time. And And I'm going to picture my mother as Bowser and my father as Bowser and they're shooting fireballs at me. And what is the only choice that I have in this moment? And I said, I'm going to level up. And I can still remember my hand on the door and I go, now. And I started laughing and I go, that's the company's name, now level up. And what I realized from that moment is that when I went into the door, I shifted my perspective. I stopped thinking of my mother and my father as these things that were causing me pain, but I thought about myself and choosing to be the character of love and that what if I just choose to be this character? Because I don't really have any control over anyone else. I only have control over me. So I started to choose into the character of love and choose into the character of forgiveness. And I started to realize that when I chose these characters, it would be mirrored back in front of me. Mm. So I realized slowly that if we could shift our perspective in the moment, and I mean moment to moment, which is not easy, and it takes effort, and it takes you know discipline, and it takes all these things, but so does walking your dog every day. You know, it's like, that's also a shift of perspective. We get up every day, we walk our dog. We get up every day, we brush our teeth for a living. Why not get every day and shift our perspective if it's gonna make us happier? So I started to implement a mindfulness practice and it just started to come through. And so I started, you know, slowly, you know, creating this and creating different tools. And then all of a sudden I started to, you know, speak about the way that I was perceiving the world. And I started to gain clients and I ended up opening a private practice and teaching this mindfulness practice. And what I started to realize was that now Level Up really expanded from a Tangible thing, you know, of being a a person wearing a t shirt with the words on it as the mirror to creating a modality, a mindfulness modality in practice that every day we actually embody what the shirt represents Mm. and become it and step every moment deeper into it. So now, level up really helps you to dive into the shadow self, to all the things that we hide from all the moments from when we were one to seven or before one to seven, because the truth is is we're still being imprinted in the womb. you know, we're digesting all of the energy yeah. so whatever's going on. So now level up gives you a moment to go through the shadows and know that the whole time you can hold on to this faith and this hope and this understanding that there's color and that there's beauty with whatever you're going through. And it's a moment-to-moment understanding that we are actually the creators, and by becoming the perfect mirror, we actually get the perfect mirror on the outside.
1: I love that. That's amazing. Thank you. Now level up, baby. So I, I think you just answered the question in the middle of you speaking when you had that moment of uh, you know realizing that shift. Yes. And your ability to do so, and then you had you saw things different. I feel like from that moment, it's probably really easy. So you wake up tomorrow and you go right back to the old routine so are these modalities kind of an exercise to make sure you don't revert back yes because I feel like because I've had I feel like I've had certain moments where I feel that way and then black by lack of my own discipline I fall right back into the same routines so just to clarify it's still a, it's still like a work until eventually it's like just as just as though just as we learned when we were younger get to get those you know habitual moments implanted in us we have to do the same thing over again and kind of like by habit and by, by working on it, eventually it's just going to be a deeper and deeper impression to become this new self. Yes. That makes sense. So i I think it's important to maybe do some of those modalities of, that you do to make sure it sticks. Cause like you have, we, I think we all have those moments of inspiration where, you know, it, uh, it feels great and we realize we feel great. But for some reason, like you think, like you said a second ago, why not do this? Cause we, we it feels good. Like, you, don't you want to do that? Mm-hmm. But it goes back to, again to discipline and continually working on it to do it. It's not just like, I feel like you are a perfect example of it. You've had that moment, but then you continually worked on it. Right. It wasn't like the, ne- the next day you kind of, did you still have to battle that to come back to that? Or was it just easy for you to like, was that moment enough?
0: Well, no, this is, I mean, I really, I really want to stress this because as much as I own fully that I live my life in the way of now level up. The only way to do it is to be the perfect mirror, right? So I have to sit here and say that every morning I get up, every morning you get up, every morning we get up, it is not easy to say yes. It is not easy for any of us to wake up every day and say yes to playing this game. That's just the truth of it. But it gets easier when you implement the tools. It gets easier when you make a routine for yourself. It gets easier when you start to take the paintbrush back. And I Mm. say that because in the first part of our life, someone is painting our story with their paintbrush. Now we are old enough to take radical responsibility to paint the story that we want. And so if we really want to make the change, it is what you said. It's slowly. It's implementing tools. And it's not waking up every day and thinking that it's going to be easy, but it's knowing that you have tools on your tool belt to open a door that is completely dark and having the fear come up in your body, but then going, oh, I remember. Mm. I have a flashlight. Okay. I'm going to take out my flashlight and I'm going to move through this dark room and I'm going to get to the next door and you're going to open the next door and then the door is going to be bright. But we're never going to have consistent, you know, bright days. That's not what the point of Now Level Up is. It's about understanding that we can always make the shift, that there's 86,400 moments to make the shift. And to make – to to choose us to really come back to that. Like, you know, it's still a struggle for me every day to completely choose me in yeah. every moment.
1: That's the thing. is, I think it's it's oh, it's everlasting. You know what I mean? I, I, from the beginning, I remember you mentioned and I mentioned it as well, like every day is almost heaven-esque for you. But then you also alluded to these days when you feel a little anxiety or feel paranoid and you, then you connect with Jason. Mm-hmm. So it just made me connect with like, yeah, like we can live life. People. There's still those moments of vulnerability. There's still those moments of not maybe feeling great. That's consistent. But as long as you have that tool belt, you have the ability to overcome it. I think it's as simple as that. We, have, we all have the ability of overcoming it. It just takes, like I said, putting in work.
0: It, and I'm glad that you said that because something that I do want to say is that Now Level Up, you know, I have a movement with Now Level Up and it's called You Are Not Alone. And the movement is an individual movement. And it's something to embody, to embody the message that you are not alone and to be able to give that to another. Because what I realized recently, and and I'm gonna say in the past year and a half of creating Now Level Up, I said to myself at one point, what was it actually that made me shift the day of the accident? You know, what was it like the actual thing? Was it seeing Jason? Was it the unconscious patterns? What You know, was it the message that I'm not alone? And although it's like a little bit of both, really the message you are not alone is what keeps me going every day. So when we have the moments, so when I say like, you know, the moments I have anxiety, I ask Jason for this. The truth is is that him creating the flower or the balloon it's just a message, I'm not alone. Mm. So it's if we can show up every day, and even if we don't feel great, but we get up and we throw a shirt on and we go out, just like I told you, and that's how it started, and we decide to give love to another human and allow them to know that they're not alone, it actually fills us up. Yeah. It's a mirror. So it's like, yeah, none of us are always gonna feel great, but, if we can show up for others and give back and sh- it's we show up for ourselves
1: that's it that we're not sense. alone
0: no, we're not so
1: even there's plenty of times where it may not seem like it, and there's so many differences in this world, but no matter the differences and no matter where we are, we're in very much all in this together in some sense, even when we're not, we are, even when we're not we are
0: I love that we're also doing this in quarantine, yeah. Because it's such a powerful message because the truth is, is that this is showing us and such a beautiful mirror for this world at how together we all actually are.
1: Right. You know? Yeah. And plus we're seven feet apart.
0: Exactly. We are. <laughs> My mask is right over there.
1: <laughs> so we did it. We did it responsibly. Yeah. Um, listen, I want to thank you. That that story was unbelievable. Like I, I think it's going to connect with a lot of people connected with me. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to actually indulging more into now level up now that I haven't even as great of a great of an understanding as I can right now hearing it from you. So, uh, once again, I just want to thank you for your story and I look forward to everything else hearing this. And I don't know if you have any final last words that you'd like to share, but other than that, I'm very grateful for you being here. And it's really cool mm-hmm. to see you here based on we've met each other on Instagram and, uh, thank you.
0: Thank you for having me, and if I can offer anything up to anyone right now, it's to break the wall and to look at you and tell you that you are the creator, so if you are seeing this right now and you have tuned into this channel, I just want to be here as the perfect mirror to tell you that you are loved, and you are love, and you are capable, and you are enough, and you are definitely truly not alone, and whatever is in front of you, you can get through. Trust me.
1: And that's a mic drop right there. I think we key the music right there. <laughs> <'Cause-> <laughs> Sandra, thank you so much. Thank you. So You're much. The best. Thanks, guys.